Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Have you uh, seen this video? This was rolling around last week. Love this picture of the dog just having a good time. And what stands out to me is this dog has complete confidence that it belongs on the soccer field. They try to get it off by throwing the ball over there, and the dog is like, no, (laughs) I'm coming back. So this guy, he's a dog lover, picks him up and carries him off. When I saw that and thinking about our text for for today, the word confidence comes to mind. The dog didn't matter that it wasn't a human, did not matter that it wasn't wearing one of the jerseys. The dog was just confident I, I belong on this soccer field tail wagon and, and ready to go play with these guys like why, why are we not playing let's go as we open our text for the day we hear God calling us to come into his presence with confidence and the the key verse Hebrews chapter actually 10 verse 19 which is the kind of the cliff note version of the main message of Hebrews opens this way he says therefore brothers and sisters Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We read that that word confidence. He's assuming since we have confidence and we say, okay, how do we have confidence to enter the presence of God, the most holy place, when we know that we're still guilty of sin, when we still fail him routinely, we're selfish at the core, We, we, we still do things that we know um, are not right before him. How do we enter the presence of God with confidence today? And when we, we have a guilty conscience, and he answers that question there in the second part of the verse, where he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, five precious words right here, how? By the blood of Jesus. The big idea today, and if if there's one thing to walk away today remembering, it's this. God invites us to draw near into his presence with confidence by the blood of Jesus. As we think about those five words, by the blood of Jesus, it it does bring to, to mind the question, How does the blood of Jesus provide confidence? How should this give us confidence to just draw near to God even while we still fail? And that's the the message of Hebrews chapter 9. The writer of Hebrews will celebrate this. He'll also explain what this looks like. And so if you would join me there in Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 1. He begins, he says this, Now, 
The first covenant, the old covenant, we talked about this last week, the, the law of Moses, had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. And we know the sanctuary is also called a tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It's interesting, if you go back to Exodus 25 and following, God does care about how this tabernacle looked. He gives some very specific explanations and, and instructions on, on what it should be like. And it's the design. What struck me this week as I was reading back through the design, it's, it's very simple. It's a tent. And there's not a lot that goes into this tent. It's portable. It's there to take it with him. But it's also elaborate in a sense that it reflects his glory. And we won't have time to get into all the details, but interesting. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, a tabernacle was set up in the first room were the lampstand and the table with consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. And so you have, we have a picture actually that we'll go ahead and, and reference. So on the left here you have the, 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 the entire tabernacle area and the, the court of, this is where people would come into the court outside the tent to bring their, their offering, their sacrifice. But then inside you see there are two rooms and pretty simple What's in the rooms? The, the candlestick would, would bring the, uh, the light to this area. We know that all of the pieces in the, the tabernacle uh, are foreshadowing Christ. Jesus, light of the world, the bread, 12 loaves of bread, the 12 tribes. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, representing um, him. And, the, uh, and he goes on. The, uh, he says, behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. So the first room is the holy place, but then behind that second curtain is the most holy place. Other places it's referenced as the holy of holies, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, remember the covenant means the, the promise of God. And in this, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was a gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and stone tablets the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim. These are the angels of the glory. We know God is not limited to one space. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, um, omniscient. And yet God in his grace said, I will manifest my presence or show my presence in the form of a cloud during the day and a fire at night, just to be a comfort and a reminder to his people of Israel that he was there and this is where his presence was shown his glory and but this was overshadowing the the atonement cover and then the writer says but we cannot go into to de we cannot discuss these things right now so he's uh, he says there's all kinds of rabbit trails we could run down right now but we don't have time there's a main point he's going to get at let's let's stay on track main point so what is that main point and he says when everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered the regular, regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. So the place where the priest would, would spend most of their time was this outer room of the tent. But only the high priest entered the inner room, the most holy place, and that only once a year, and never without blood which was offered for himself and for the sins of the people, the sins the people had committed in 
ignorance. Two things he is emphasizing here. And the first is the limited access into the most holy place. Do you notice that? It's like, okay, only, the pre, only a priest can enter the holy place, can enter the, uh, the first room in this tent. But only the high priest, and only one, time a, a, one day a year can, can this high priest enter the most holy place. As we read this, you might just draw an arrow in your mind back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. What did God say? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter where? The most holy place. He's right, the Hebrews would have been thinking, wait, 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 wait. We can't enter that place, right? We, we can't enter the outer room, nor can we enter the most holy place, the, the presence of God, His glory. Um, only the high priest could do this only once a year. And then the other thing that he emphasizes here is that the only way the, the high priest enters the most, most holy place is with blood. He says, never would you enter this place without blood. The, uh, notice, if you look ahead in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, he explains this. You say, why, why blood? Why is this so important? And he says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no remission. To which we say, okay, why is this? Why is blood so important? And the explanation is back in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Here the Lord is explaining why, uh, why blood matters and, and why blood is important or necessary for the forgiveness of sin. Verse 11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood. Interesting, this was written, I'm not sure what their understanding of science was or biology was at this time, but today we know life is in the blood, right? And Don could come up and doctors could share the biology of it, but blood goes to every part of our body when blood is not working right or flowing right, life's over. And so as God sees it, he says, the life is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And it's here as we, we pause to just consider this that we see the severity of our sin. You say, okay, what is sin? What, what exactly is sin? As God defines it, and sin is when a creature takes the gift of life. We, we don't create our own life. We are creatures. God puts in us the breath of life, gives us blood, and sets it flowing. It's when we take the life that he gave us and we say, it's mine. And I no longer want you, I no longer need you, and I will live my life the way I want to live it. And we assume the position of sovereign of our lives. We tell God, I am now God of my life. Now when a creature does that, God who is perfect in holiness, perfect, or he is holy in his justice, he has to punish that. that that's a... a fracturing of the universe which he made that if he did not judge 
that, he would cease to be a holy God. He would cease to be God, right? If God did not judge the sin of a creature who says, it's my life, and rebels, he, he would no longer be God. He has to judge that kind of rebellion. He has to. It, it's, and, and what's the judgment of that? And we tend to minimize our sin. We tend to excuse it. We, we tend to think it's not that bad. But God says there's only one judgment, and that's life is removed. The breath of life is taken. Blood of life is poured out. Death. And not only physical death, but spiritual death, which is the soul. For humans, we've been created with the capacity to connect with God and know Him. We are separated from Him. We're, we're um, put outside His presence. That's what we deserve when we tell Him, I don't want you. I'm choosing to, to be sovereign of my life or God of, of my life. And yet, the glory of God is seen not only in His judgment, in his justice, but it's in his grace and his mercy, right? And God in his grace and mercy made a way for us sinful people to draw near to him. For a time, he accepted the life of an animal to cover the guilt of our sin. That's what atonement means. It means to cover. And God said, as, as my creatures made in my image who I love I will make it possible for you to stay alive physically and spiritually, but you have to take the life of an animal and that blood will be poured out instead of your blood being poured out. So how did it work? We see it in Leviticus and it's a sobering glimpse of the holiness of God, the severity of our sin, and there's lots of We'll just look at a, uh, one sampling, but the sin offering is described in Leviticus chapter 4. And we'll start with the, this is, describes, he, he lists a, a various groups of people. When, when we are guilty of sin, here's, here's what needs to happen. And for the priest, verse 2, 3, it says, um, If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt upon the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect, as a sin offering for the sin that he has committed. And he is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord, and he is to lay his hand on the head and slaughter it there before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the, the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest shall then take some of the blood on the, put some of the blood on the horns of the altar as a fragrant incense that is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the, the bull's blood shall be poured out at the base of the altar of the burnt offering at the entrance to the tent of, the me, tent of meeting. And so here we see a perfect bull sacrificed it's life given so that the priest could stay alive and, and his sin could be covered. I say, well, what about ordinary people like us? What, what would have happened in our case? And that's where we move over to verse 27, where it says, If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have 
they have committed becomes known, they must bring their offering for the sin committed a female goat without defect. And the without defect is an important um, thing to note. And they are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering. A couple things to, to note here. One is God was very clear you had to bring your sacrifice to the tent of meeting. If it was me, I'd be like, man, if I realized I'm guilty, I'll go, I don't want to do this, but I'll go find this unblemished goat, this perfect goat, the best goat that, that we have in our flock, but I'm going to do this at night, and I'm going to do it a long way from where everybody is. I'm going to go out to the mountain and quietly try to sacrifice this goat because of my shame, right? You have to bring this right up to to a priest, and right, the, right there in the middle of the camp, people see you headed towards the tent carrying this goat. They know you're guilty of doing something wrong. And then you have to lay, lay your hand on the head of this goat as a symbol that your guilt is on this goat. But the goat did nothing wrong. has to be going through our minds. I mean, it's innocent. I'm the one who deserves this, and then with hand on the head of this goat, slit its throat, which I'm sure was not a a pretty scene. I'm sure cries of shrieks of death, and it's trying to get away, and, um, and then to watch its blood flow, its life flow until it becomes just a limp mass. You talk about um, hating my sin. To, to see this, and this was something that was constant in this community. This is something that every time I became aware of my guilt, I would have to go and realize something valuable to me, this, it's costly. Forgiveness is always costly. It would be something that we would know. I have to take my best prized animal. It's a financial hit, but the biggest hit is not me. It's this animal that's innocent that it has to die, it has to give its life because of what I did as I assumed God's position in my life. As we read the text today, what's interesting though is the sin offering that's just a normal part of their community life isn't what God has us focused on. What's he focusing on? The Day of Atonement. And this is the one day out of the whole year that the high priest would enter the most holy place. And what's significant about this day is that this is the day where a sacrifice is offered for the, the entire nation for what kind of sin? It's not sins that were premeditated or that we know we're doing wrong. It's for unintentional sin. It's sin that we didn't even know we did. And you might think, well, well, can't God just ignore ignorance for my sin? And the answer is because God is holy and his justice, even sin that we commit in our ignorance, we didn't even know we were doing wrong, has to be punished. Talk about guilty conscience and just realizing every moment of every day, I'm sure there are things that I'm thinking, doing, soul tainted with impure motives. And this is the day, though, that God provides. And 
It's the high priest, and he describes it. We don't have time to get into it, but in Leviticus chapter 16, the high priest takes a bull, and he offers a sacrifice. He takes two goats, and one of them will be sacrificed. One will be a scapegoat, and on this day, he'll put his hand on the scapegoat, and he'll confess before the whole nation all the sins of the nation on this goat, and then someone leads the goat out into the wilderness, and that represents our sins being taken out forever. And they talk about in the uh, Hebrew culture, just it's, a, you talk, it's the biggest celebration of the year, the Day of Atonement. As before God, we are clean. But what happens the very next day? Here comes the guilt, guilty conscience. And that's where we pick it up in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. It says, the Holy Spirit was showing by this, by the way this was the sacrificial system, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of, of food and drink, of various ceremonial warning, washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. And so here he's explaining that um, yes, this was a, a gift of God to cover our sin, but the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient to cleanse our conscience, our, the guilt from our conscience. These were coverings, but these did not cleanse us. And we see that in, as we look at the system and you know, as we think about our, even our own lives, and maybe you've felt that, just the, the weight of a guilty conscience, the closer we get to God, actually, the more we realize how much we're not like Him, and, and we can begin, begin to drift under a guilty conscience and drift from Him instead of run to Him. And now this is where the good news comes in, and is anybody ready for some good news right here? You just feel the hope as He says, but, verse 11, when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of, of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. Today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, how can we draw near to God with confidence? There is only one way, and it is by the blood of Jesus Christ. His life poured out for us on the cross. Three truths emerge as we, we look at this and, and celebrate this reality. The first one is, by his blood, Jesus Open the way to God once and for all. The, the way that was blocked, the way that only a priest could go in, and then a high priest, that way has been opened. And we know when Jesus died for us on the cross, the curtain in the temple no, going to the Holy of Holies was torn in two, and ordinary, messed up, sinful people like us can enter into the presence of God boldly and confidently through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us on the cross. 
He sacrificed his life. Life is in the blood. His blood was shed for us. And it is sufficient to atone for every sin of every person who comes to him forever. Amen. I love 1 John 2, 2 that, that speaks into this as it says, John says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Those of us who know him, the goal is that we don't sin, but if anybody does, which we all do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for for the sins of the whole world, everyone who will come to him by faith. The second truth, how do we enter the presence of God with confidence? By his blood, Jesus purchased our eternal redemption. If you look there at verse 12, the second part of the verse says, he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And this is an important concept. Redemption is that idea of buying someone or something off the slave market of sin and purchasing their freedom. And so the picture here is through the blood of Christ, he purchased our freedom from bondage to sin and bondage to the penalty and the power of sin. And it's an eternal redemption. It's forever. I think it's important here as we think about the freedom we have to follow Christ and the freedom we have to live with a guilt-free conscience to remember the cost at, what, at which it came. And the picture of the sacrifice, I think the, one of the values of having the Old Testament is just seeing, we, we've never had to do this, but for the Hebrew believer to put your hand on that lamb and see your guilt transferred and then see their life taken. And for us, that's communion when we come here and we just remember again that there was a moment in my life when I put my faith in Christ and what he did for me at the cross. And in that moment, all the guilt that I have was transferred to him forever. And yet it came at the cost of his blood and the suffering. And we just thank him for that. And we praise him for that and, and worship him for that. How can we draw near to God with confidence? Third truth, by his blood, Jesus cleanses our conscience. Verses 13 and 14, it says, The blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death or dead works so that we might serve the living God. Our confidence to draw near to God is not in our good deeds or not in the good works that we do but they are solely in the sacrifice of his life poured out for us. As you think about life being in the blood, the life of Jesus, we get credit for. Not just his sacrifice on the cross, but the life that he lived. The, the perfect life, the unblemished life, the, the sinless life of Christ. When we come to faith in him, if we are trusting in him, and in his blood shed for us, his life is credited to our account. God sees the life of Christ, the perfect life that he lived in our place. And what's the result of all this? The last part of, of uh, verse 14 says, so that we might serve 
the living God. It's a picture of living a life of worship. It's to live a life of doxology, to draw near to him. And as we draw near to him, we live each moment of our day for him, by his power, for his glory. And all this is possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Today, as we we gather, the effect of this, as we think about entering his presence with confidence, one of the the effects I think it has on us is it restokes our passion for why we do what we do, right? Why do we come here on Sunday to worship? Why do we go out to reach those around us? Why do we connect in loving relationships with each other and seek to build each other up in small group? Why do we want to be with him and and learn more about him? Why do we serve as we live our lives? And what's the why? It's the blood of Christ. It's what he did for us. It's his sacrifice for us poured out the only way that we could have a relationship with God to be forgiven and to be forever conscience clean, um, eternally redeemed, set free from the penalty and power of sin, the door into the presence of God forever open. The only way that happened was Jesus gave his everything for you and for me. He was faithful to the finish. He poured out his life for us. What am I going to give to him, right? And I don't know about you, but I feel that it's ever present. It's my life. I want to hold on to my time, my money, my whatever. I want to make it my life. And when we kneel at the cross and we see the sacrifice that was poured out for us, it it says, no, no, no. It's not my life. Lord, it's your life. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, in view of his mercy, let's offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, right? What's the end result of this? So that we might serve the living God, which is our primary vocation. Step into the joy of living a life of worship. Aren't you thankful for what Christ did for us? I love the, or just thinking about that picture of the dog, um, just happy as could be to be out on the soccer field chasing the ball. And one of the reasons I like the picture of the dog is it reminds me that of me. I'm a creature. Every once in a while, it's good just to be reminded, be still and know that he is God, I am not, and that I, don't, I didn't give myself this breath, I didn't give myself this blood, or I'm not the one keeping this heart going, he is. I'm a creature. And just as that dog is in one category of creature, compared to the humans that are chasing him around, which have another category of intellect, as we run around on, in life... <laughs> How much greater is God above us? Like, he's not even close to the category. of, And yet, in his grace and mercy, he desires us. He invites us into his presence. How much does he love you? How much does he care about you? Jesus gave his life, his blood. He suffered and died to make it possible for us to draw near, not with a guilty conscience, not with shame and all of that, but with a clean conscience. Like that dog, tail wagging, running into his presence. He's happy to be with him. Jesus, God, fully God, is a friend of sinners. You say, how can I live with him, live in close proximity to a holy God? 
There's one way. It's by his blood. Amen. Today, if, if you don't, haven't received the gift of salvation through faith in the sacrifice of Christ, that's your next move. And, and for the rest of us, our move is just to enter his presence with confidence, thanking him for his sacrifice, for the blood that was shed on our behalf. Amen. And then to go out and live a life of worship, serving him for what he's done for us. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Jesus, for giving your life. Father, for giving your son. Thank you for your word to us today that reminds us just uh, the severity of our sin. And, and Father, we confess, even in these moments, the ways that we've rebelled against you and thinking that it's our life and have uh, chosen to do our will versus your will. And we pray that you would just cleanse us, Lord, and control us by your spirit. Lead us in that path back to life, back into your presence. But Lord, we thank you for the, the precious blood that was poured out on our behalf at the cross. We worship you and, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.